At this time, Stephen Andrews will come with our sermon titled Wise Words for All Nations. Sir? As I was preparing this morning and thinking last night, I had a message that I was going to give and, and, and was working on it and thinking about it, perusing through and getting different scriptures and stuff. And all of a sudden, I looked at uh, the first verse in Psalm 59, and it says, hear this. So what happened? I began to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> and it changed the, the, the direction in which I was going because it's very important that we hear this. It was interesting that both Jesus and Paul quote from Isaiah, the sixth chapter. I didn't give this to, to, to um, uh, Brian, but um, Isaiah, the sixth chapter, very interesting how this um, also ties into my Psalm 49. He says, I have heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I hear, and then said I, Here I am. Send me. And that's a song that we sing, isn't it? Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear you indeed, but understand not. See you indeed and perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat. Make their ears heavy. Shut their eyes, lest they see with their, their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? And he said, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, the houses without man, the land utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away and there is, there'll be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet, in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten as a teal tree, and as an oak, whose substance is in them, and they've cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. As I was thinking about this message and this, these thoughts, they tied in somewhat to the message that I have on Psalm 49 today, because... The nations need to hear this. The nations need to understand. And yet, it becomes very evident to me that no one is listening. No one is paying attention to what's going on in this world, in this United States, in this last bastion of Christianity, of truth, of the ability to preach the truth. It seems like today... There is beginning to be more and more who are against those of us who preach the truth. Those even who are preaching that this world is, being, is moving more and more towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Who's, as the old saying goes, the frog is in the pot and the water's getting hot. And we're not paying attention and we're not getting out. Back to Psalm 49, because this is the one that I want, and I think it's so uh, prevalent for today. Hear this, all you people, 
Give ear, all you inhabitants of the world. Because it's becoming more and more prevalent today to reject everything in the Bible, to begin to um, curse Christianity. We even have young um, actors and actresses who are very actively um, putting down the Bible, putting down Christianity, putting down anyone that believes in this in this word. And they're not listening. They're not paying attention. Give ear, all you inhabitants of the world. This is not just for America. This is for all the world because God rules the world. God rules all things. He is the power that keeps things together. Both low and high, rich and poor, together. God doesn't exclude any human being in the world from his message, from his truth. If they would just open their ear and hear, open their ears and hear. Hear this, it says. Hear this. Pay attention to what's in the Bible. Pay attention to what the prophecies that are going to happen to this whole nation, to this whole world, because of sin, because of the things that are going on. How long before America becomes like Sodom and Gomorrah? How long before this nation no longer recognizes that there is sin in this world? He says, My mouth, in verse 3, shall speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. Well, they open the book up and look in the book of Proverbs all of the prophecies, the things that Jesus said, they will understand. They will come to comprehend what this world is going to and becoming. Will there be a generation that will even recognize sin? I know that uh, we, we finally gave up TV. We, we play DVDs and stuff, and I... And I know that uh, some of the things that are now on in America, maybe somewhat in Britain and different places, have already you know, perverted <laughs> those nations. But it's interesting that we have allowed ourselves to be um, influenced into sinful thinking and allowing the things that God calls an abomination to go ahead and be a part of this, this, this country. We're not hearing the Word of God. We're not paying attention. And there are a few out there that are speaking out against what's going on in the world. There are a few that are speaking out about <laughs> the idea that we, you know, we have a president who's now the, the potty potus. So I, I, I still have not understood what's going on, why we, we're going in this route. But when God says that the, the sins of the, this nation will overtake it, I think that's what's going to happen. And I really feel uh, very saddened by what's happening today. But let's keep going. Let's keep looking at what the Psalm 49. All inhabitants, low and high, rich and poor, all together. They're, they're all being called to understand, to see. He says in verse 4, I will incline my ear to a parable. I will open my dark sayings upon the harp. Now I have some, I have a help, I want to, um, today I want to, uh, to use the, uh, 
help of my uh, e-sword because then I put uh, some, some other Bibles in here. Rather than coming up here with a whole bunch of extra Bibles, I, I'm using Esau today. Because there, some of the things that are being said are really, that, that are in the, uh, the King James and even in this easy reader, uh, also jump out a little bit more in some of the other translations. And so I would like to, to expand on these. And as we think about what, what's being said in these words, I think they're very interesting as we, we look at this. He says in verse 4, I listen to these sayings, and now with my harp I will sing and make the hidden meaning clear. This is the easy reader version. Um, American Standard Version, I will incline my, mine ear to a parable. I will open my dark sayings upon the harp. In other words, I'm going to play this. We're going to expand it. And then I have the, the Jubilee Version. I will incline my ear to a parable. I will declare my enigma upon the harp. So we have all of these that we um, uh, these these three translations: the Easy Reader version, the American Standard version, the Jubilee version. And as I was reading through this, I thought that some of this really did stand out, and I really did like it. Verse five. Let's look at that. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my uh, heels shall compass me about? And sometimes that's a little bit hard to understand. He says. In the easy version, why should I be afraid when trouble comes? There is no need to fear when evil enemies surround me. Well, this is a positive message this, that he's making, and yet there's also a darkness, a, a foreboding about it, too. He says, they that trust, they said, wherefore should I fear in the days of evil when iniquity at my heels compassed me about? And why should I fear in the days of adversity? When the, iniqu when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about. And I think the easy version was kind of interesting. Evil enemies surrounding me. We may have a situation in our own lives, in our own situation in this, in this, uh, in this nation, because we stand against certain things, in which is becoming very unpopular to stand against those things. And so we may actually um, have to... Um, endure some persecution if we are, are going to, to stand uh, for the truth and the word of God. In verse 6, verse 6, they that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, they that think their wealth will protect them, they brag about how rich they are. Easy reader version. I think that was pretty interesting. Let's go to Let's go to Luke, the 12th chapter. Let's see what Jesus has to say. Because I think this is very interesting. Luke, the 12th chapter. Beginning in verse 16, now through verse 21. Luke 12, verse 16, verse 21. He spoke a parable to them. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought worth in himself, saying... What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. 
But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. Then whose shall those things be which you have provided? So is he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. We live in a nation of bounty. We get to thinking about it. Some nations, I remember several years ago reading an article and it was so devastating that in some places in India that the people don't even have any clothes. They just walk naked down the street. In this nation, even the poorest people have cell phones, TVs, they connect to the internet, they find, they, most people have houses and if they don't, if they don't, there's shelters for them. There are all kinds of things and we have, and sometimes you even see the, those that are begging for money. That we were, I saw someone yesterday and I got to looking at him and I think, wow, I hope they don't notice too much about how well he's dressed because <laughs> he had to look like designer tennis shoes on. He had on a pair of jeans that looked like they were brand new. He had on a coat and, uh, and, and he had on this really nice looking, looking uh, cap. So he was, he was very well dressed for someone that didn't have any, that was sitting out there wanting money and, uh, from people that going by. But in this nation, we have so much. We have so much and yet we are plunging ourselves into, to, you know, into sin, into immorality. And it's coming from the, from the very top, from the government, pushing immorality on the whole of society. And like I said, I, I wonder about Sodom and Gomorrah, how long it took those people to finally succumb so that there was no one in either one of those cities except for Lot. Except for Lot, and he really was the only one. His wife and his two daughters really just were pushed out with him. In that society, how long did it take them to succumb to this situation in which there was no moral groundwork at all and that everybody was immoral and, it, and they had succumbed to, to total immorality? How long? How many generations? When is it going to, to change? I think we're probably going to have to wait for Christ, but we need to continue to preach, teach to the best of our ability. James, the fifth chapter. Let's look at James real quickly here. And let's, as James um, gives us an idea also about the riches, putting trust in those things. James 5. And beginning in verse 1, go now. You rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eating. There's nothing wrong with having money. It's when it becomes a god to people. You know, when Jesus says, when you begin to, to worship that, and that's all you want in life. Your gold and your silver is cankered. The rust of them shall be witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, 
cries, the cries of them which have reaped or enter into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Isn't that interesting? Whenever it becomes so corrupt, our cries, our prayers to God go to Him. He hears those prayers, those cries about the nation that we live in. Pray for this nation. Pray that it'll change. Pray that they'll repent. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he does not resist you. Seems like the crime rate has grown and become even more and more. It's become very difficult in this nation, hasn't it? Back to Psalm 49. Let's go back to Psalm 49 so that if you want to follow in the... Uh, uh, I'll, I'll take the time to go over there myself I'm using my uh, handy-dandy uh, book. <laughs> Psalm 49, beginning back in now in verse uh, 7 through 9. Let's read this here, 7 through 9. None of them can by, their mean, by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceases forever, that he should still live for, forever and not see corruption. That's a little difficult to, to, to understand, but there's a, this one here. No one has enough to buy back a life and cannot bribe God. I thought that was pretty plain. No one has enough to buy back a life, and you cannot bribe God. You will never get enough money to pay for your own life. Verse 8. You will never have enough to buy the right to live forever and keep your body out of the grave. That's an absolute positive thing. The Bible says all men will die. No matter how rich you are, no matter how powerful you are, no matter what your position is in this world, all men will come to that final point in their life in which they will die. Uh, we honor the, the elderly ones that uh, have made it to that 100-year 100, 100 period you know, when they get to be 110 115, 116, it seems like every time that we find someone that's that age, they die. <laughs> I don't know what there is about this. <laughs> I think the last one was like 116, and there was a man in Japan who was 117 or 100, and, I mean, it was, it was very old. They went over there, and they, they photographed him and had all of this, and what happened next? He died. So I think there's someone in, in, in America now who's like 115 or 100 and something, I think, like that. I think that's the case. I, anyway, unless that Japanese guy's still alive, I don't know. He, he, he may not be, but I think he did die. So anyway, we, we know this. This is a fact. Life is temporary. Luke, the 16th chapter. Let's go see what Jesus has to say. Because this is an interesting no matter what the interpretation of this is, the outcome that Jesus brings is fairly interesting. Luke, the 16th chapter, and beginning in verse 14, he says, And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. So, here we have a scenario where the Pharisees are listening. 
And they're also talking in the background. Uh, he's, he's, he's crazy. He's not, you know, he's not saying the right thing. So Jesus, he begins to, to, to bring this out. You are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John, since that time the kingdom of God is preached and every man presses into it. And it's easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle or one jot of the law to fail. Whosoever puts away his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whosoever marries her that is put away from her husband and commits adultery, there is a certain rich there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid in his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels unto Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And in the hell, in the grave, he lifted up his eyes, being tormented in torture, and sent Abraham and far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he's come comforted and you are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from here to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from there. Then he said, I pray then, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify to them, lest they also come into the place of torment. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. It's a very interesting parable. There's a lot of speculation about all the different things that are said here. But the point that he's talking to the Pharisees, and the point that he's making at the end here, is that that gulf of death is a great separator. No matter what your power, no matter how much you make, what your position is, Everyone is going to die. And he's making this point to these Pharisees that there is a time in which they can repent, seek God, and come to that understanding. And he says, I have five brethren. They may testify, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead... They will repent. Jesus says, mm-mm, ain't going to happen. He said, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though run rose from the dead. The whole point of that whole scenario came to be summarized in verse 31. That's what he was trying to, trying to bring across to these people. He said, no matter, no matter, if they didn't hear if they didn't change, if they didn't repent, they're not going to be persuaded even if someone from the dead was to raise up 
and bring them that message. Let's go back to Psalm 49. Verse 10 here. For he sees that wise men die, likewise the fool, and the brutish person perishes, and leave their wealth to others. It was interesting, um, uh, the great the wealthy one in my time was J. Paul Getty. Uh, there's, uh, you know, the Trumps and the different ones that are rich today. But I, when I was growing up, when I was young, J. Paul Getty was the man to follow. He was the rich man. And um, he had s seven, seven marriages, if I remember right. I'm not sure exactly how many. He had seven different marriages. He had, he had all the wealth in the world. And he said, uh, he said at the end, he knew that he would have given almost anything for one good marriage. And he un also understood that that wealth was going to go to, his to, to, to those that would not do anything with it except, you know, just uh, get rid of it. And that's just exactly what he's telling us here. For see, the wise men die, likewise the fool, and the brutish person perishes and leaves their wealth to others. Ecclesiastes, just real quickly here. Ecclesiastes 3. And we're very familiar with this, these here, verses 18 through 22. I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men, that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalls the sons of men befalls beasts. Even one thing befalls them. As the one dies, so dies the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man has no preeminence above a beast. For all is vanity. He realizes you know, that they <laughs> we all go to the same place. Beast, man, whatever. All go to one place. All are of the dust. And all turn to dust again. And he looked at me, you know, you go right back to Genesis where it says, dust you are and dust you shall be, you know, you shall return to that dust. Who knows? The spirit of man that goes upward and the spirit of the beast that goes downward to the earth. Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is the portion for who shall bring him to see what shall be after him. God sent Jesus to give us a better, a better way, didn't he? He sent him to give us a better, a better way, a better hope, a stronger, more positive hope for the kingdom of God. Let's go back to, to um, Proverbs 49. I hope you were holding your hand there. Beginning in verse 11 through 14. Let's look at 11 through 14. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man brings, being in honor, abides not. He's like the beast, the parish. This is their way, is their folly, yet their posterity 
uh, approve their sayings, and it's Salah. Think on these things. We've, we've said an awful lot. Let's, let's take a minute and think about what we've just said. What has been the point? Men are going to die. All the wealth is not going to save them. It's, it's just the way it is in, in life. And if you don't repent and you don't turn to God, you might end up in the lake of fire. Verse 14. Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them, and the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. And their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. I might just read that one, that one verse in the easy reader version. They are just like sheep, but the grave will be their pen. Death will be their shepherd. When morning comes, the good people will enjoy victory as the bodies of the proud slowly rot in the grave far away from their fancy houses. Quite interesting, isn't it? Quite interesting. Verse 15. Verse 15. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Salah. James, the fifth chapter. Let's look at two things here. James, the fifth chapter. Now there's a little hope here, isn't there? Now the, the, um, the author, which it may be David, and this is, a, by the way, this was um, a psalm of Asaph. Verse 49, uh, the, let's see, James, the fifth chapter. I can get over to James, the fifth chapter. And beginning in verse 7. Just a couple of verses here. James 5, beginning in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, to the coming of the Lord. So we have a, a situation in our lives, and we, we, we live in a society in which there is immorality. And, and what does James say? Be patient. Be patient, therefore, brethren, to the coming of the Lord. That's our hope. The return of Jesus Christ. We do whatever we can do today. We do what we can do to preach and teach to the best of our ability, to reach out to the best of our ability, that our true hope is in Jesus Christ's return. Behold, the husband waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he receives the early, early and latter rain. Be you also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draws near. The coming of the Lord draws near. No matter whether we lay, our, lay down in that, in that grave, and our name is called, or we are changed in an instant, which we will find here in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, we have that hope. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. All of us have the hope of the kingdom of God, the, the greatness that God has set before us. For if we believe that Jesus died, verse 14, and rose again, even so them also which slept in Jesus will God bring with him. This is the hope. This overcomes the things that we've, we see that are so, sometimes we feel like they're so negative. Yes, all men die, but there is a hope of the resurrection through Jesus Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and reign, remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. 
There's a whole bunch out there. There's a whole bunch of saints. There's a whole millions of saints. I'm hoping it's millions of saints who are sleeping and waiting. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with a voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort you one another with these words. Today I'm comforting you with these words. Understand that even with the understanding that all men will die, it's appointed under man once to die, we have the comfort, understanding that when that trumpet calls, we will be resurrected, or we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. It makes no difference. We have that hope. So let's go back to Psalm 49. Let's continue on here. Psalm 49, 16 and 17. Be not you afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his, his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away, his glory shall not descend after him. Boy, it's an absolute fact. You come in naked, you're going to go out naked. <laughs> oh, those little babies. They're so cute, so precious. They come into this world naked. They grow up. And someday, you know, if they're blessed for old age, they will die. And I hope, my prayer for my grandchildren, all of my grandchildren, that they will be in that kingdom, and all of us. We'll be all together, and we'll have that grand time together. But there's always warnings in the Bible. I, I, when I was searching, I was thinking, I was meditating on something totally different, and I saw this. Hear this. It's like a, a call. Hear this. All you people, give an ear. Come on. Listen to what the Bible says. Pay attention to what it says in here. So, we, we're not going to carry anything into the grave. That's just the way it is. We're going to leave it all behind. Um, I don't have much to leave behind. <laughs> poor, uh, my poor wife, we, we've been talking about that. And she says, well, so the, <clears throat> an inheritance of nothing is still nothing. You know, you, you, get, <laughs> you just don't get much. Uh, when, so anyway, um, <clears throat> but I don't have much, but I know that those that do, they still are going to have nothing when they can't take anything with them. But those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we have the kingdom of God, the glory of that kingdom ahead of us, and we will receive honor and glory and crowns and all manner of things greater than anything that we've ever had on this earth, no matter what it is. And those that have had to suffer with different things throughout their life, if they've been invalid or they've had different things, they will receive a great glory because they're going to have bodies that are not going to be able, that are not going to decay, they're not going to, to um, uh, they're going to be perfect. They're being glorious. You can go back to Genesis 3.19, I was going to this, um, and it says, you know, dust you are and dust you shall return uh, because they had sinned. Um, death, I wrote here, death is a, a leveler of all, both man and beast. There's no escape. It, it's going to happen to, to all. Man, uh, death is going to happen, and, and we can't get away from it. But we, we have the, the hope of the kingdom of God. 
in verses 18 to the end of the chapter here. Let's read those verses. 18 to the end. Though while he lived, though while he lived, he blessed his soul, and men will praise you when you do well for, to yourself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers, and they shall never see light. Man that is in honor and understands not is like the beast that perish. Wisdom, brethren, tremendous wisdom in this one psalm. Psalm 49 is so full of wisdom for those who walk on this earth who are rich and have a lot of money and a lot of things and are just worshiping that money. I want to finish up in, in, in Romans, the 8th chapter, because I don't like to, I never like to finish um, a message on a negative note. And Romans is, is so positive, so positive. Romans, the 8th chapter, verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus, this is verse 11, from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Jesus from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Brethren, this is the hope. This is what we, we look forward to, the quickening of our, our being. No matter whether we die or not, we know that we have that spirit dwelling in us. We have the hope of the resurrection. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Just as Psalm 49 and the, the author was talking about life uh, in which you worship the things of this earth and cannot take it with you. Why don't we worship God? Why don't we worship God who can give us eternal life? For if we live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live, verse 13. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We read this a lot because it encourages each and every one of us. I know Barnabas reads it and Lawrence reads it and I read it because I want you to all be encouraged to understand how important it is that that spirit that dwells in you quickens you and how important it is that we be led by that spirit. Not just to live in this life, not just to kind of uh, have... Um, uh, you know, a dreamlike state in which we walk in this life, but to be led by that Spirit, to be encouraged by that Spirit, to be um, led to praise, praise God and to honor God and to live a godly life and to do those things that are godly. He says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption or sonship, where we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are, what? The children of God. Or God's children. If that Spirit dwells in us, then we're God's children. And even though we might sleep, because that's what the Bible calls it, you know, I don't know whether you really call it soul sleep or just plain sleep, because God has, he has the power to resurrect us. He has the power in his hands to, to bring us to life. That spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together. You know, so he says, For, the, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be received in us. And we don't know what those sufferings are going to be, what we're going to have to endure, what we're going to live through. We know the world is getting a lot more difficult to live in. Being a Christian is getting to be a dirty word, is what it amounts to. People are being lied to. Uh, they're, they're being uh, hoodwinked and, and, and duped. They're falling into the, uh, to the atheist way of thinking, and they're, they're rejecting the Word of God. How many will fall into that? How many will re reject God and the Word of God? Brethren, we can't do that. We cannot allow ourselves to fall into that. We have to be on guard. We have to protect the spirit that dwells within us. We do that by staying close to God. We do that by staying close to the Word. We do that by... Awakening, when you see something like, hear this, or give an ear, take a time to read it. Take time to think about it. Take, you know, salah. Take time to meditate on it. That's what it means. Meditate on this. Because they're so important. Those things that are written in there are so important for each and every one of us who have the Spirit of God that dwells in us.